Now look what he says in verse 6. Verse 6 is also mentioned there in your notes, but um, I can uh, let you read it right here out of the scripture. Look at verse 6. Even as David, now David lived about a thousand years before Christ. How was David saved? Well, he had to keep the law. (laughs) No, he didn't. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man. Now, the blessing of the man means the salvation of the man. When you read Galatians in chapter 3, it says that the blessing of Abraham might come on those that believe. Talking about even the Gentiles. The Gentiles saved the same way that the Jewish person is saved. So here in verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God, get this, imputed righteousness without what? Without works. That's salvation by grace. You can't cut it no other way. And imputed righteousness, that means it's put to your account because of the payment Christ made. When you put your faith in Christ, his righteousness is put to your account. Now, this is what David says, and it's recorded in the Old Testament, even in the book of Psalms in chapter 32. Now, notice verse 7. And this is what he said, and what he said here is what this meant in verse 6. Now, you do, sometimes you read a verse, you don't know what that meant. Well, sometimes God's word will explain what it means. The Bible teaches itself. He says, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now, the sacrifices that they made only covered their sin, but it didn't take them away. But they were forgiven because God looked at their faith in what payment was going to be made by Christ when he came. And I'll show you that in just a minute. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. In other words, you mean I did something wrong? Well, then... I should have to pay for that. Yeah, but Christ paid for mine. You say, what if I sin tomorrow or the next day or the next day? And you will. Those sins are imputed to Christ, not to me. Because, you see, I've already died. When I died, the law can't touch a dead man. So that's why the law can never condemn you again. Once you've trusted Christ, you can never be condemned to hell to pay for sin. The penalty of our sins have been paid. Now, in our life, we have many consequences of sin. And so the Bible starts off in the book of Galatians in chapter 1, talking about to deliver us from the sins of this present world. So I have been saved from the penalty of sin, but I am in the process of being saved from the sins in the present because of the power that my sinful nature can have over me. So as you study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit that lives within you can give you the power that you need to Live the way God wants you to live. And one day, we all know that uh, we'll be saved and delivered from the very presence of sin. Now, look there in your notes. Right in the middle, if we had read this verse in Psalms 32, 1 and 2, we might never have known that these verses would mean that you are justified by faith. Or that righteousness without works was put to your account. And that sins would not be put to our account. If it was not explained to us in Romans... But they definitely understood its meaning. Isn't this exactly what we believe about our salvation today? So were they saved the same way that we're saved? By faith and faith alone? And it was in faith about the Messiah, which I want to show you that too. But look at your next notes here where we have about Jude in verse 14. Now many times we have advanced, or I should say progressive revelation. God doesn't reveal everything all at one time. 
But as time goes on, progressive revelation means he reveals more and more and more. Well, when it comes to a guy like Enoch, all we know in the Old Testament was, you know, there in chapter 5, well, that Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. Well, Enoch did more than that. Enoch was a preacher and a preacher of righteousness. So when you go to the book of Jude, Jude will tell us that he already knew about Jesus Christ coming in power and great glory, coming with his angels and armies and all this stuff. He knew all of that. Look at the scripture. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken again. Uh, he was preaching about that. So evidently, he knew all about the Lord. And he knew about the Lord coming with ten thousand of his saints. He knew that. But that just because it doesn't mention that back there doesn't mean they didn't know and didn't understand. I've had people say, well, you can't hardly find anything about some of this. Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean they didn't know it. It's just certain things are not revealed or wrote down. But I believe that they knew a lot more than we give them credit for. But now look at the next statement. Remember this very important point. If Jude had not told us about the content of Enoch's message that he preached before the flood, we would not have known that he knew about Christ's second coming or that he was coming with 10,000 of his saints. Yet there is nothing in the whole Old Testament that has revealed this, nor is it mentioned in the New Testament or Old Testament about Moses knowing Christ. But it tells us that in Hebrews in chapter 11, because look at the very next verse. In Hebrews in chapter 11, did Moses know about Jesus Christ? Well, evidently, it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So he knew about Jesus Christ. And he knew about the offering that had to be made. You see, there's a lot of things that they knew, but it doesn't make it, sometimes it seems like it's not as clear. And uh, I don't know what in the world the world would have done if, uh, if the students from Florida Bible College hadn't figured out all of this stuff and enlightened the world. No, they've known it. We're not the only ones that know the truth. We're not the only ones that knew the gospel. We're not the only ones that believe in salvation by grace. Notice the next verse. A psalm of David, Psalms 32, 1 and 2, says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, but in whose spirit there is no guile. So we have these two verses written by David in the Old Testament, and they're quoted in the book of Romans in chapter 4, telling us what those verses mean. So the Holy Spirit that gave it to them is the Holy Spirit that gave it to, to Paul and explains in more clarity. Because, see, they was looking forward but they had difficulty understanding the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Was there two Messiahs going to come? No, it's going to be one Messiah. But he came the first time and he suffered. The next time he's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, look there in the little quote that I have or the little box. David knew that to have one's sins covered by animal sacrifices did not pay for sin, but only covered them until the sacrifice of Christ had fully paid for them. So whenever John the Baptist comes on the scene, he sees Jesus Christ, and what does he say? Behold, the, this is at the beginning of Christ's ministry. So from the very beginning of Christ's ministry, they knew that he was the lamb to take away the sin of the world. And this lamb, Jesus Christ, 
He didn't preach works for salvation. Many people say, well, now, in, you study the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus is preaching works for salvation. He did not. You see, the gospel of John is very clear. It's like God's whole heaven track. And you got the book of Matthew, and these events happen at the same time. You see, Christ's only here three and a half years. But there's four different books, and they all record at the same time about the things that happened. And so this would cover certain things that he said because of the king and of the nation of Israel and building this constitution and setting up his cabinet and how he's going to rule and so forth. All that's done, yes. But that doesn't eliminate that Luke teaches about Jesus Christ also, but he teaches about the perfect man. And you got the book of Mark. Mark is about the servant. And then you got Jesus Christ, who's the son of God, high and lifted up. So you have... Matthew showing him as the uh, lion of the tribe of Judah, and Mark as the ox, and Luke as the man. That's why you have the genealogies of Jesus Christ as a man coming from the book of Luke. But in the book of John, you have any temptations there. Why? Because God cannot be tempted. So there's none of those things mentioned in the book of John. But you need every one of these because they make a composite picture of Jesus Christ. You can't just take one. You've got to take all four. Put them together. And so this message is not a different message than this message when it comes to the gospel. There's just certain things that are explained, and we'll go through that another time. Now, look down at the bottom of the page. Turn in your Bible to this scripture. I want you to see this. In the book of Acts and chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And the reason these verses are important because, well, they talk about King David. And they're talking about what has just happened. And Peter is preaching. And he's telling them that the things that they have seen, the things that they've heard, was by the determinant counsel of God himself. So you see there in the book of Acts in chapter 2, look in verse 22. In verse 22, where it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you all, as you self know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Now, so you have the death, burial, and the resurrection right here. And then he says, let me tell you something else. You look down in verse 25, for David. So now he's going back to the Old Testament and reminding them of what David said in the 16th Psalm. Because in the 16th Psalm, you think, it's, well, is this talking about David or is this talking about the Messiah? And there's a lot of similarities here. But in verse 25, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord. He knew it was the Lord always before my face for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, the holy one. That's the Messiah to see corruption. That's the resurrection because Christ rose again on the third day. Then he talks about, not only that, but in verse 28, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. He knew the way to have eternal life. David knew that. That's in the Old Testament. In verse 29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you, Peter's talking, of the patriarch David, that he's both dead, buried, his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing, get that, knowing 
Talking about David, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Messiah, Christ, to sit on his throne. Did David know that God was going to raise up a Messiah through his loins that's going to sit on the throne? That God told him that. That's what God said. In verse 31, he's seen this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. This is... So did David know about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah? Yes or no? Yes. Evidently, if you go by the book, you've got to go by the book. Now, people will deny that and say, no, they didn't have to believe in death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. Yes, they did. Every man's always been saved the same way. They're saved looking forward to the Messiah. We're saved by looking back to the Messiah. We're both saved by faith and faith alone. So, now, in uh, your notes here, just look in Psalms 22 in your notes here. It's about the middle of the page. Where David used also, and he wrote the 22nd Psalm, 23rd Psalm, 24th Psalm. Now let me tell you this. When you look at the 22nd Psalm, and it talks about the crucifixion. So there you have Mount Calvary. That's Christ on the cross. Mount Calvary. In chapter 24, it talks about the Messiah coming in power and great glory and going to rule and reign. That's in chapter 24. So that's Mount Zion. Now what lies between two mountain peaks is a valley. So when you read Psalms 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, there was chapter 22, Mount Calvary. and chapter 24, you've got Mount Zion. But in this valley is where we are. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. See, he's on both sides of me. And it's a wonderful 23rd Psalm because it talks about the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And it talks about the, the great shepherd. And then it talks about the chief shepherd. And all three of those Psalms talks about three different titles of a name of a shepherd. And the other one is in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 13. And I remember when Dr. Kimbrin would always pray, he always closed his prayer out with that scripture found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. But now look at this. Psalms 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You ever heard those words before? I wonder who said that. Jesus Christ said that. This is written a thousand years in advance. But isn't it a shame to write all these wonderful things? And they had no clue what it was talking about. David did. Because the scripture says he knew. Then he says here in verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. Did they mock him while he was on the cross? Make fun of him? Yes, they did. In verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. But none of his bones were broken. In verse 15. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. He says, I thirst. And what did they give him to drink? Gatorade. They gave him some Gatorade, right? They gave him what? Vinegar. vinegar. Oh, don't that taste good? Have you ever had a good old mouthful of vinegar? And the, look in verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. This whole psalm is about Jesus Christ. But it's about what happens to him. How he thinks. How he feels. What he's going through on the cross. He says in verse 18. They part my garments. They gambled for his clothes. And then you'll find out in verse 26, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord and seek him. Get this, your heart shall live forever. That's eternal life. 
When you partake of what Jesus Christ did for us, and he said, I am the bread that cometh down from heaven, and he that eateth this bread shall never hunger. It's, in other words, it lasts forever and ever and ever. When I got saved 58 and a half years ago, guess what? I've never had to do it again. Why? Because it's satisfied. I don't need to get saved anymore. I'm not looking to be saved. I'm not trying to be redeemed. I already am. I'm not trying to be justified. I already am. And the next thing here in verse 31, they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. It's not only for the people that were born, but when it happens, and that was in 2,000 years ago when it happened, and it's going to be for people who shall be born. And if it's talking about 2,000 years, I think it covers me too. I'm covered. This is the best insurance policy you could ever get. I am covered. But what if it gets covered? Somebody asked me just recently, but what if you go out here and you do this? Yeah, but it's covered. What if you do that? And that's really bad. That's covered. All sin is what? It's all covered. And when we talk about covered, we're not talking about like the payment in the Old Testament. It means it's been washed away. Our sins have been paid for and dealt with. Now, I want you to very quickly just take your Bible and look there in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah 55. Now look in 53. Isaiah 53, real quick. We've got a, a couple of minutes here. And notice in Isaiah 53. Now this is 700 years before Christ was born. And uh, there's a few interesting things here. It tells us all kind of things that happened. But look in verse 5 where he says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on him, Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that's all mankind, all of our iniquity were laid upon him, his son. And the Bible says, and in verse 7, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. That means he was going to die. And then you see down in verse 8 where it says cut off. That means he did die. He went to a mockery of a trial. And uh, then it says in verse 9, and he was made in his grave. That means he was dead and the body was in a grave. And then you look down there in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So that's the payment for my sins. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. That's the resurrection. Is the death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament? You will slap my mouth. It's right there. And you can't undo this. It is so good and so clear. Look in chapter 5. We've talked about the payment Christ made for the sins of the world and he's going to come back from the dead and he will see the results of his labor. So in chapter 55, look here in verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. In other words, you can get something and it doesn't cost you anything. I wonder what it is. Wonder what it is. It's eternal life. Look what we have down here in verse 3. Incline your ear. Come unto me here, and your soul shall what? Live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Now, there's another sermon that could be preached just on the mercies of David and what that means. And part of that is in the book of Romans in chapter 4, where we were just looking at. 
The blessing that comes on a person because they trust the payment that Christ made on the cross for them. So that's also written here. Now, take your Bible and look there in chapter 56. Look in verse 1. And verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment, do justice, for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. So why is that important? Because in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it talks about the righteousness of God is revealed, being manifested without the law, unto all, but get this, upon all them that believe. God's righteousness is unto all, but it's only upon them that believe. You read chapter 3 and verse 21 and 22 and 23, and it's wonderful, but it's talking about that righteousness that we're reading about right here. And so um, there's another verse. I just want you to see it real quick. Verse 5, the last part of it says, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. In other words, you'll never die. I'm going to get a name, <laughs> never die, and that's the pretty good news. Uh, look there in chapter 61. Chapter 61. Now we know that verse 1, beyond a shout out, is talking about Jesus Christ. Because in the book of Luke, he takes these scriptures... And he quotes them, and then he said, down. Where he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's talking about Christ. Because the Lord hath anointed me, Christ, to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me, Christ, to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's when he said, down. The last part of verse 2 he did not quote because that's the tribulation period and the days of vengeance that's going to happen when he comes the second time. So there's a gap between first part of verse 2 and the last part of verse 2. But this is talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about his righteousness. And so you'll see there in verse, uh, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. You ever hear us sing that song? In my robe of white. You never heard that song? In my robe of white. Well, this is where that robe of white comes from. God, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, God gave you his robe of righteousness. Now, if he gave you his robe of righteousness, would that be good enough to go on? You've got enough to go on. You're going on his righteousness, not yours, not mine. That's why the day I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was good to go. He gave me the right wedding garment to be able to go to the wedding, and I'm going. I'm, I will be properly dressed. And I, I don't think we're going to have to wear coats and ties up there. Amen. But I don't know what I'm going to do with this long robe, though. I mean, we're all going to be wearing long robes. I wonder how long that thing's going to be. Not on the golf course. By the way, you know this year, you know there's nine planets and that's a nine-hole golf course. I think God is so good. God is so good. So anyway, look down at the last statement in this, uh, on these notes here. Who in their right mind would deny that these scriptures written by David a thousand years before Christ are a picture of Christ on the cross? They are. That's Christ. That's the anointed one. That's the one that was to come, the pay for the sins of the world. Does not the reference in verse 26 reveal that they knew they would live forever, have eternal life because of the one who died on that cross? Did they not understand that his righteousness in verse 31 refers to the righteousness of Christ? That's what we're supposed to believe. And that's what we're talking about in the book of Galatians and also in the study of the book of Romans.
And I think it is so very important. It was interesting this morning after the morning service. I got through and somebody emailed me. And they told me, says, um, I have just finished talking to somebody. Either today or yesterday. I can't remember when. He says that they believed exactly the same thing you were talking about in church this morning. That since Christ paid for everybody's sins, everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. And the only thing we're supposed to do is go around and tell everybody, hey, you're already going to heaven. Isn't that good news? And so it's an advantage to, to know you're going to heaven. It brings us peace and joy because everybody's already saved. Nobody's going to go to hell. But, of course, after you read the Bible and you find out uh, it didn't end up that way because there were a lot of people going to hell whose name were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so um, some people got it wrong. But there are people who got a lot of strange beliefs. Go by the book. Study the Bible. Study, study, study. Read it and read it and read it. The Bible will explain itself and it will make things so clear, so easy to understand. God is not the author of confusion. You get confused, <laughs> you don't believe something right because God is not confused. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. Now, God says he loves us, but he hates our sin, but he does love us. But for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God. But God says he loves us, wants us to go to heaven. He doesn't want us going to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. He loves us. But to go to heaven, I have to be perfect, and nobody's perfect. So how can I get to heaven? Because of my sins, I can't get in. So the Bible says you cannot earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. That's why we needed a Savior. Because if Jesus Christ hadn't have done what he did, there's no option B. There was no hope. So Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who had no sin, didn't have to die. He had never done anything wrong. But because he loved us and he hates our sin, he said our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God says the only thing he wanted us to do to go to heaven was believe that Christ did that for us, paid for our sins. Why am I going to heaven? Because Christ paid for my sins, and I believe it. That's the only reason I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to heaven because, well, I'm a preacher of a church. I've been preaching the Bible for 50-something years. That's not why I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because 58 and a half years ago, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And that very moment, I was good to go. He gave me his robe of righteousness. All my sins have been paid and put to my account. And that's why he says in the book of Romans in chapter 4 that it was put to Abraham's account because he believed. But not to him only, but unto us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe. So when we believe, then the payment's put to your account. It's not put to your account unless you believe it. It's not automatic, well, everybody's saved because he paid for all the sins of the world. He is the Savior of the world because there's only one. But not everybody trusts him as their Savior. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, and you're watching by internet. And I want to say I'm thankful for the person who was watching this morning that trusted Christ as Savior at, at 11.56 when I gave the invitation this morning. So you never know who's watching. And if you're watching, I encourage you right where you are. You don't have to do anything, stop anything. You don't have to promise anything. All you need to do is believe that when Christ died, he died for you and paid for your sins. And if you'll trust him as your Savior, he said he would give you as a free gift everlasting life. And you can know that you're going to heaven because of what Christ did on the cross for you. And I pray that you'll trust the Lord. You that are in the auditorium right now, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, or if you've heard it a thousand times, but what if you've sat here all this time, all these years, and you never really trusted the Lord? Wouldn't that be a shame? But you fooled everybody, but you know deep in your heart you never did. Why don't you trust Christ as Savior? And I pray that you will. 
Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for this time together. We thank you for those that are able to be here. But Father, we got some people that are still sick and not doing well, and we commit them to you. So we commit this thing to you and ask your presence upon each person here in Christ's name. Amen.